0: It's not two straight white guys who went to
1: Yale Well, today. you see, hold on. Then we're gonna, don't get ahead of me. Okay. Welcome to this week's episode of Fear, Honor, and Interest, of the podcast for two straight white guys who went to Yale, solve America's cultural divisions by adding some diversity. Going to you from Washington, D.C., I'm your host, Charles Wilbinger, with me on the line as never before, my friend Christine Roussel, not a white man who went to Yale. Christine, how's it going?
0: Doing all right. How are you?
1: I'm doing just fine. Uh, For those of you longtime listeners, we had a bit of a gap in episodes because David was uh, moving and traveling and all kinds of things that prevented us from recording for a while. And so um, as timing would have it, I finally got around to lining up a guest host to fill some time just as he actually could record again um but at that point i thought you know we should we should go for it we should do an episode where it's not just the viewpoints you've already heard um and so that's why i have christine on the line right now and uh we're gonna see what kind of discussion we have because i can assure you she and i are going to disagree on more things than david and i do wouldn't you say that's right christine
0: I mean, yeah. Although I did listen to your podcast before I even met you to make sure you weren't like completely off the rails in terms of how you described yourself. So
1: Well, that depends on how many um how many episodes we'd done by that point probably.
0: Um I mean, it was like what, March? So like I think you'd done like a I don't know, like 20?
1: Yeah, we were it's we've been doing it I mean, for... I didn't listen
0: to the whole catalog, just the Heresies episode and then decided you right. seemed fine, so I could agree with what you disagreed with, if mm. that makes any sense. You're...
1: Okay, okay. Well, um, why don't we instead talk about the things you don't agree with us on? Christine has been- Which is oh, everything. Which is everything. Christine has been one of our most uh, loyal listeners, giving us feedback on episodes, um, which almost always consists of, I disagreed with everything, but it was a good episode. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're trying to, um, get more of a discussion in, and, uh, she's here today to tell us why we're wrong. What's the first thing you want to tell us we're wrong about? Um. I'll get the thing we're wrong about that isn't how long it takes David to talk.
0: Ha. <laughs> um. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't think you have enough faith in people. Oh yeah
1: but we have plenty of
0: faith in our own being right, yeah but like apart like other people, like oh. I think you just have a really dim view of humanity, which I think is i don't know it's it's opposite of how I kind of view things.
1: oh, I would say that that view is warranted by the text <laughs> um what is't what's an example of our dim view that you think, or i i mean, I guess it's more of a general concept, but um but I find that intriguing because i I was not expecting that as your answer.
0: No, I just think um, you always assume the worst and like people's worst intentions sometimes. Like, especially if you don't agree with them politically, like you just think that they're, I don't know, like oriented towards evil when they probably aren't.
1: This is a like com- no one's out to
0: destroy the country that's in Congress. But, well, now that Dan act-
1: Rohrbacher lost,
0: <laughs> see, they're right there.
1: I mean, that was a clever quip for people who follow um, congressional politics. Um, well that's also I mean that's certainly also fair that um i I will make a quip that is not necessarily something I believe um because it's funny and I'm not going to stop myself from saying something funny and sometimes that can um yeah create um a different impression i and I do think that um Something that I maybe should clarify more, something that would maybe even be worth an entire episode of of discussing, is how good people with good intentions end up doing things that really make it seem like um, they're acting as though, you know, their their interests are not the country's interests. Um, if you could, because you can you can look at, for example, we just had um, it was yesterday or today. Uh, the Maria Butina um, pleading
0: mm-hmm.
1: and all of that talk about how, you know, this is a Russian agent who was sent to forge contacts with conservative leaders and a certain unnamed guns rights organization. Um, and certain one. certain one, they didn't there's say which more one. Than one they're not, <laughs> you no, know, they they were, un, uh, they were not indicted. So why name them? Uh, just like the political party she worked for. It could be any, she was helping. It could be anyone. Um,
0: yeah, that Reform Party is just you know out of control these days. It's,
1: I mean, does <laughs> Reform Party still exist?
0: I have no idea, actually.
1: I, I the last I'm sure I run- there's like
0: one guy in a garage maybe somewhere. Well,
1: I mean, it's probably Jesse Ventura still, but
0: um, I think he's an independent or a Green Party even. Like he's just gonna he's like a free agent when it comes to
1: parties. There was a point when he was in the Reform Party.
0: Yeah, but he's like threatening to run again for something. Oh, I'm looking that up that right now.
1: Unfortunate. Um, I mean, he was good in that X-Files episode.
0: He's in the Green Party now.
1: Oh, the the Green Party?
0: He's official, according to Wikipedia, which is obviously correct all the time, he's been in the Green Party since uh, 2016. Huh. Yeah.
1: He just wanted all that Jill Stein momentum. Um,
0: Stein momentum's a big deal, man.
1: Boy, that's interesting. Um, But anyway, I, I think the story of foreign agents... If, like if you, Obviously, this is an extreme example, but if you have a foreign agent who has a particular purpose, who's sort of whining and dining in a movement, before she was, um, you know, charged with being, I don't know if spy is quite the right word, but before uh, she was arrested, I think a year or so before, there was a big, long profile about her that I read in a news source. I can't remember off the top of my head. Maybe it was The Atlantic. Mm -hmm. um about who she was and how she um you know got the guns the guns the guns. rights organization that is that was named very much in this piece um to uh
0: i mean she appeared at the convention
1: right in 2014 (laughs) i think it was with with russia and um you know you're reading this article and you're like this sounds kind of suspicious and so it wasn't particularly surprising when she ended up getting arrested um
0: well, of course, it sounds suspicious now because you like know the ending of the story. No, no, no. I'm
1: saying I read this article before she was arrested. Like it sounded I mean, suspicious even when, um, you know, even even I didn't know the ending. It just sounded suspicious.
0: Well, they're trying to turn her like this Anna Chapman 2.0 figure, which is kind of not entirely accurate. Anna Chapman was the smoke right. show Russian spy from a few years back.
1: Yes, who was so. also a redhead.
0: Yes, so That's
1: what they yeah. use apparently. Um, but uh, but anyway, I mean. If, so if we're if we were to take a less dim view of humanity you could see where somebody who is being groomed by a foreign agent like that um who lets hope to triumph over good judgment because you know one of the te- the, the tell the, the tells about this that um you know russia experts have said is of course vladimir putin wouldn't allow independent rights organizations in russia like they have no in- he has no interest in promoting any of the things the NRA actually wanted to promote. Um, like this is, the, And so I could see where somebody who wants to expand their organization's reach to other countries and um, could fall for this because they want to believe it. And then bit by bit, you're working with this person who, I don't know, is maybe doing some questionable things and you convince yourself, oh, well, it's not –
0: I mean, in 2014, no one was really concerned about like Russian spies. Like, it just wasn't really a like. I mean, like the 2016 election hadn't happened yet, obviously, because that's how time works. But like, I don't. I understand like how people got like. I think "duped" is the not the right word, but I'm not sure of a better word to use. Like, by her because it's like, oh, someone who like wants to expand gun rights. Like, sure, what's the harm in profiling that? And like, you know.
1: Right, expanding. Yeah, that's essentially my argument as well. And yeah. There's a situation where you start off with somebody like that and maybe you end up doing things you shouldn't be doing um, just because, you know, step by step, you find yourself in a bad spot. And I think that that's how a lot of people do things that I think are wrong, which is that they start off with good intentions and they make a bunch of individual decisions that seem logical, and then they find themselves doing something... Not so right. Yeah, that's not right. Um, and it's not necessarily because... They're bad people, but they've gone down this path, and they haven't ever stopped and said, "It doesn't matter how I got here; I've gone some, gotten somewhere wrong, and I need to leave this wrong place." Um, and I, so, I would, I would say that sometimes when it may seem that I'm being having an overly dim view of everyone, it's really more that there are a bunch of individual decisions that people make that are not evil, but they end up with a result that's somewhat similar. Um, one of the things I wanted to, um, you know, bring up a bit with you just because it, it touches so much. For those of you who haven't guessed, and Christine disagrees with me on a number of things, she is a conservative. Um, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to discuss, and so I, I, I shared a Vox article, Horror of Horrors. But this is just because it was this week's uh, Ezra Klein article on the legacy of Paul Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Paul Ryan is an interesting um, person to examine for talking about conservatism in America generally. Um, because when you see what he's done versus what he said he would do, there seems to be quite a gap. And I think that you can find explanations for that, that aren't that he's a con man. You know, I think Donald Trump is a con man. I think Paul Ryan, I mean, I, I, he's one of those cases where I don't know how he ended up, um, doing the things that he's done. It, it seems like you could, you could find a bunch of steps that led him there that are not him being a con man but the result is somewhat similar um in that he has talked about how the biggest concern is the deficit and he's going to cut the deficit and this is his big priority and the only major piece of legislation he produced in all of his time as speaker was a budget busting tax cut that he insisted falsely would not add to the deficit which is something that I don't know any reputable economist who said that tax cut wouldn't add to the deficit and yet every Republican in the Senate said it would not add to the deficit which is you know one of those things where I don't think Susan Collins wants to just make a budget busting tax cut for the rich that um you know explodes the deficit and so when we talk about why did she say that it wouldn't add to the deficit I think that's a, that that's an issue of um People with good intentions who find themselves in a bad, in a worse situation. I don't know. You probably don't have... Do you have any desire to defend the tax cut that they passed last year?
0: I mean, I enjoy making more money, which is a really selfish way of looking at the tax cut. But, like, I do make more money than I did before the tax cut, so...
1: That's because they haven't gotten to the point when it's going to raise taxes on the middle class.
0: I mean, on a personal level, I don't hate that bit. But, um, mm. no, I mean, like we've talked before, like, I don't have a strong economics background, so... I'm worried I'll just sound silly if I try to defend it.
1: Right. Well, I mean, that's See, that's that's why you're not an election. I did official.
0: read the article cuz I I mean, I suffered for, through a Vox article for you, you so.
1: It. It's not a typical Vox article. It's not one of those
0: No, it was very
1: explained.
0: It wasn't overly pious or anything, which was nice. But um yeah, like no, I mean, a lot of people are disappointed with Paul Ryan. I consider myself to be one of them, but I mean, he didn't really do much like you said and like the whole Republicans basically squandered their years of controlling the white house and the Senate and the house and everything. And just nothing ever got done. And I mean, I understand like why a lot of Republican voters are really upset and why the last midterms happened. Cause like, I'd be, I mean, I am angry, but I also live in a solidly blue state where I can't really do much about it. So,
1: Whereas I live in a solidly blue city where we literally get no vote on it.
0: That's your own choice. Well, that's... Virginia and Maryland both exist.
1: I mean, it is theoretically true that I could go and live somewhere else, but it's kind of absurd that that's a that's a a choice anyone is being asked to make. I mean, like, because it would be one thing if it were just, oh, I live in a solidly blue area, so my vote has little relevance. But to actually be taxed and not get uh, the representation at all. um, But you do live in a
0: solidly blue area where, I mean, I'm assuming most of the candidates you support won local elections and stuff.
1: Well, I'm in such a solidly blue area that 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 um you get into the point of like, am I voting for the people who are less left than the ones who? Because um, that <laughs> as is as an sort aside, of I hate that in the
0: city. U.S. that the Republican color, the conservative color, is red because that's not true of any other conservative political party in the entire world. It's blue, literally everywhere but America.
1: Right. Well, I and mean,
0: traditionally the states would swap colors um, depending on which party was incumbent, and then. I think it was 2012. It should have been Republicans as blue. But by that point, the terms red state and blue state had gotten so ingrained into, like, American consciousness that they were just like, screw it. Tradition's over. Republicans are red now. Also, Republican and red both start with R.
1: I feel to a certain extent that um, a lot of of what happened for that was the 2000 election because we had that long period before we had the results where we were looking at the map with all the colors on it. And because they were red and blue in that one— that's just it, just became red and blue states, and now those are just the party yeah. colors.
0: No, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. like it just, I think but in 2012, it should have swapped so that the Republicans should have been blue once again, but they were not. Because in one of the Reagan maps, I think, or it's either Reagan or Nixon, the Republicans are blue that year, and the whole country is just blue,
1: right? Well, I mean, so I, I, I yeah, there are a couple of reasons that I think it works. Um, one is that historically, if we go back to, um, Battlefield visualizations: the good guys are in blue and the enemies in red, so <laughs> that looks right on the map. Um, <laughs> but the part that actually, to me, as someone who just never questioned the colors being what they are, um, uh, it made sense because the red is the south and the blue is the north. And when you look at a weather map, that's also what tends to happen. You know, like yeah. it's hotter in the south, and it's warmer in the north. So obviously, the north gets the blue and the south gets the red. When as a child, that's what I thought.
0: Um, I mean, I had no concept of electoral maps until the year 2000, anyways. Right. So. Then it was like, oh, there's no president yet.
1: Yeah. Well, I actually took a class in uh, a class on the Civil War in college, where it was during the 2004 election. Um. Or no, I think I took that. Yeah, it was 2000. Yeah. Um, and um, the professor was fairly liberal, although he didn't really.
0: A know, liberal the... at Yale?
1: Wow. Oh, oh yeah. It doesn't come up. There.
0: Hey, I, I
1: took a lot of classes with a lot of conservative professors, um, and I will tell you that I think the conservatives were more willing to make big conservative points in class than the, um, than the liberals were because the liberals were conscious about bias. Um, in fact, what ended up happening with this was the professor puts up a map, and it's the traditional, like, north is blue, south is red map and some students complained to him that that was sort of unfair because we were all looking at this red and blue map and now we're saying the slaveholding states are um <laughs> you know are in red and it's like well they are the same states they're literally yeah. the same states but um but
0: anyway populations so we, have shifted though since 1865 but they have
1: but we came back and the next day and he had this horrible horrible, ugly map that tried not to make them red and blue. I don't know where he found this, but it was like the colors, I I don't I don't, so I've been l- listeners, I've been trying to understand color shades better. I've been trying to learn them. I've been trying to look at color tiles and know how to refer to a specific shade of something. And I do not have the co- vocabulary for the sort of like vomit yellow, putrid green colors that he put up on this map. It those was are all good words. It was horrifying. Horrifying. So, I am sorry, but I will take pro- professorial bias in favor of the left over seeing those colors on a map anytime. I mean... I don't remember what we were talking about, but that's my... We said I went from...
0: You Oh, DC not having representation to blue, and then colors, and then,
1: yeah. Yeah. See, Christine, not having been on the show before, wanted to actually, like, map out the discussion and what we'd be talking about. And I was like, <laughs> that's not how this works. I
0: provided topics I'd be okay talking about. That is, that is. That's that not is like weird. a set list of, like, let's do X, Y, and Z at minute 15. Like.
1: Now, we did try to do that on our very first show, and we learned that that is not how this works. <laughs> um. But anyway, so, yeah, that's our little aside on on the color scheme stuff. But stepping back a bit to Paul Ryan and his legacy, so, you know, part of what I frequently say, which I can understand, um, you know, maybe I overstate some of this, but I do tend to go along with the, um, not necessarily, well, in terms of how people react to it, I agree with the Paul Krugman view that Paul (laughs) Ryan has always, yes, I expected that Sorry, sorry. has been, has been, has been effectively, whether it's conscious or not, um, his pitch has been that of a con man, and the media has covered as though he's an incredibly serious person. And part of the reason for this is that uh, the you know the media is always trying to be balanced. The media is so sensitive, I think, to accusations of of liberal bias because they've been getting these accusations for so many decades that I think they massively overcompensate so that you end up with a, with a field that's dominated as far as employees go by liberals, but those liberals are constantly trying to overcorrect for the perceived liberal bias. And it results in them putting together things that are just kind of absurd. And I think the coverage of Paul Ryan, especially before he became speaker uh, very much fell into that category because Every Paul Ryan budget was just, hey, we're going to cut taxes on the rich, and then we're going to make up for the deficit in some unspecified way by cutting unspecified spending, and it'll all be great. And then people believed that and thought it was serious and said he was a policy wonk, but as soon as we actually get him in charge, none of what he's saying um, you know, comes out because you can't really pay for – deficit reduction with unspecified spending cuts when you actually have to put together a, you know, we haven't had a budget in eight years, but
0: yeah, so like, you put together I mean, something
1: resembling a budget, Um when you're making your budget priorities, you can't do that anymore, and I don't well, know. that was
0: just hmm? one thing I was kind of, like, not confused about the article, but, like, a lot of the things that they were attacking Ryan for, like, never actually happened, which I understand, like, that's something to be said in and of itself, but, like, yes, like, these fantasy budgets, like, we never actually passed them. Like, they were just proposed things. Like, we still don't have a budget. We haven't had one for eight years.
1: Right. But, and... So, like... Um. And, and you know, what happened eight years ago? The Republicans took over the House.
0: I mean, yeah. Like, these are facts. <laughs> like, I'm not going to dispute them. Yeah. But, like... So, I, I don't know. He, like, Paul Ryan wasn't my favorite member of Congress, but, like, I am kind of sad to see him go.
1: Hmm. I mean, the image of Paul Ryan that people had was one that I would be like, if people like that were there, they would be people I would be, you know, pleased with. Um, I think of all people, um, one of the guys who was the head of, he wasn't head of Ways and Means, I think Paul Ryan still was at the time. When did Dave Camp retire? He was the guy who worked Um. on some budget policy stuff for, the republicans and he actually did seem pretty serious about trying to make the numbers add up but then he sort of he, he then was he retired it? dave camp dave camp i could so. be going back like five did he retired 5 years ago or something like that but he
0: retired in 20 he was his he was last elected in uh he retired in 2015. 2015 so the 2014 election he didn't run or he lost or something. i don't know I,
1: he didn't run he retired he did, yeah. Um, um, yeah he was a bit more yeah, he was so, serious about things at least i i got that impression from hearing him speak um, I don't know. Though Paul Ryan, as a person, always felt to me as though, or at least as a pre, as a political bit of political theater, it always felt like he was just I'm going to take off my jacket and roll up my sleeves and point to a bunch of PowerPoint slides <laughs> and then claim that these numbers are all going to add up in a nice way. But then when you look at what he's actually proposing to do, it's it's. I mean, that's like half of
0: it. Congress does that. Like,
1: yeah, but half of Congress doesn't get a fiscal responsibility award and then bust the budget the way he has um i mean i i think that one of our fundamental disagreements is when you ask, is on the question of well, what are the parties trying to do and um you know i can't i can't claim to know what's in everybody's heart when they um when they say uh that uh you know when they do some of the things they've done with 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 the budget with tax cuts but the actions that I have seen from the Republican Party indicate to me that they're pretty much their just one goal, their purpose as a party, is to cut taxes on the rich. Everything else that they talk about seems to be a lot more flexible as to whether they care or try to do it. But when well, they the get Republican,
0: in... The Republican Party is really an odd coalition of people, though.
1: Yeah, like, but if, mean, it always seems like, like that like one historical... part of the no, coalition like... is the one that wins.
0: No, but like, I mean... I don't know, like, look at, like, the history of, like, the last 40-ish years of the party, like, suddenly you have, like, the whole religious right thing loops into it, and, you know, you've got, like, the old-money wasp types that, and then, like, I mean, the Rockefeller Republicans pretty much not really exist anymore, but, like, I don't know, it's, the Republican Party is just an odd mixture of things that normally wouldn't ever go together that have somehow sort of wound themselves around social conservatism, but... I don't know. I don't think there's going to leave a lot of people very happy on either side. Yeah. Although if that um, makes any sense whatsoever. But,
1: but the usual, you know, the usual three part way of describing the coalition prior to Trump was that it was religious conservatives, um, business people and, uh, and defense hawks essentially. Um, and the business. And then people, Trump
0: screwed everything up.
1: <laughs> well, now the well, defense, now the defense hawks are like horrified. They're the ones who like, I, I obviously there's still going to be some defense hawks in there, but you know, um, that's where you leave your your Bill Crystals and Max Boots who are just like he's trying to throw away all of the alliances that have sustained us since the end of World War II. Um, you know that that that's nonsense and madness, and we cannot help. We we cannot you know be a part of that. Um, and the, the the and business people is also just an, an you know is is difficult. Because it's sort of a broad category where there's, um, you know, individual rich people whose goal is just get their own taxes lowered. But then there are corporate people, you know, CEOs and so forth, who maybe aren't as interested in their personal salary as they actually would like their, you know, their empire of their company to get better, to get to grow. And they really wanted, you know, corporate tax reform that would help them compete. But I don't know. And and of course, even amongst um, religious conservatives. There's a fair amount of split, as you're well aware. Yeah. Um, the Catholics have very different priorities on. Uh, once you get step outside of abortion, the Catholics have wildly different priorities than the other social conservatives. Social. Well,
0: conservative wait. How so? Like. Well. I mean, no, mansplain Catholicism for me, Charles. Go. No, I wasn't. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't
1: using <laughs> that as a way to mansplain. Christine's is a Catholic. To. <laughs> uh, to mansplain Catholicism, I was using that as a way to. I was actually trying to. Be more generous to my Catholic friend, and note that that the Catholic Church has much um, kinder policies towards, set, or kinder views toward. Like it has, it has missions as part of its, um, as part of its 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 goal that I think are more than just, uh oh, we we you know we have to, um. We have to make homosexuality illegal. You know, like, like like the when you the James Falwell, James, Fal- did I just say James Jerry, Falwell?
0: Jerry Falwell. Yeah, Ger-
1: Jerry Falwell. And I'm thinking of James Dobson. I somehow conflated the two of them. Who's James Dobson? He's the head of the. one of those things? Man, I am having. We can we can edit this part out. <laughs> we don't edit things on this show. Oh, come um, on. I edit I edit before the show. The way it's for those of you who want to know how the magic happens.
0: Just edit this part out.
1: I know. <laughs> you've, you've listened to the show. You know how many times David, David says, um, edit this part out, and I don't. I would only edit it out if somebody else made a mistake that they wanted me, that they that they felt bad about. If I make a stupid mistake, we're doing it. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, focus on the family. James Dobson is focused on the family. Oh, okay. Family. Um, and of course, you already fall well past many years ago. But, um, but anyway, um, I don't know. I... I well, I mean, the, the mission of the of
0: Catholic the... Church is to get your soul to heaven. Right. That is the main priority thing. And I don't know. I'm not going to go into full, de- like, dogmatic details, but you're not entirely correct in what you just said, but you're also not entirely wrong. Right.
1: Well, I think what I said was also just a giant jumble of words. So It was, mostly. Um, I mean, The point that I was trying to make was that um, Catholics have had more of a social justice mission than the evangelical part of um of the religious conservatives.
0: Yeah. Cause we haven't established social doctrine for the past like 200 right. issues, which,
1: which to be fair, I want to be clear. Cause I sometimes have gotten into this argument with relatives. I don't mean to say that, you know, Southern Baptists don't try, d- you know, don't do charitable work and don't care about the poor. They do. Um, my observation has been that they're very uncomfortable with um, With government action that does that, and they want things to be done more by private acts of charity, but I have myself a lot of qualms about that, both because – in in part because the scale of certain poverty problems, I think, precludes them from being done in the way that they would like to with private charities, although to an extent the Catholic Church is – a, a or the largest charity in the yeah, world. Yeah, it is the largest charity in the world. It really—that's one of the few organizations that I think does actually have that that scale that's necessary to do a lot of good, um, like that.
0: There are a billion of us.
1: That's a lot of people.
0: A lot of people. Uh, um, yeah. But yeah, where were we? Well,
1: we. So yeah. So I was. I was. We were noting the, the elements of the Republican coalition, and um, so the. It's funny because it's it's. it's there, I have always been by nature one of those people who wants to say, "Oh, but you know, let's not just call the other side stupid or evil." But um, then you do anyways. But then I do. Well, no, I see. You, it's because you've only known me since Trump became president. This um, is true. I have been much kinder on a lot of elements of the of the Republican Party prior to Trump. Trump is, was sort of my breaking point. Um, because he it's just, a is, lot of people, he just is a giant <laughs> list of characteristics. No leader. You, you should never, if a person who has his set of characteristics wants to be a leader, you should always tell them no history just shows us that message over and over and over again. Um, and so I, as I, you know, as I was saying before about how sometimes you make a bunch of individually rational decisions and then you find yourself in, in, in a position where you go, wait a minute, how did I get here? I think voting for Donald Trump is one of those where, um, you know, if you make a bunch of individual decisions that seem logical, but once you end up voting for Donald Trump, you have to go, I made a mistake somewhere. Um, like, I don't know where, but somewhere. Um, because of the, I think he's he's just the worst um, in just so, so many ways.
0: I'm still kind of stunned he emerged out of the primary. Like... I I mean, there was just... I remember, I spoke to my, like, old middle school class, like, in the early, early, early stages of the 2016 election. So I think it was, like, December, November 2015. I was home for something. And someone asked me, like, all wide-eyed, like, do you think Donald Trump's gonna be, like, the Republican nominee? And I was like, no. Like, there's, like, what was it, like, 18 other people or something that were, like, running? It was a lot. And I assumed that someone else would end up on the, like, top of the pig pile of candidates and... That didn't happen, right? It's and a, yeah. It did get really pathetic, though. Like towards like May, like when Ted Cruz briefly had Carly Fiorina as his running mate, and I was just like, "Buddy, like this is not like how you think it's looking. Like this just looks really bad."
1: Yeah, it it didn't 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 work out great. Uh, the Trump in the primary was interesting. I don't. It's hard for me now to know for sure what I was saying back then because um I have a huge incentive to say oh yeah I saw it um which you know that I I wasn't doing a podcast in 2015 and 2016 so I don't have a record of myself saying oh yeah he'll never he'll never make it um I do actually Oh really
0: I uh look at my old job like the, right. the blog post that I wrote from around that era like I don't think I was ever, my friends said I did a good job, like, covering the election because I wasn't, like, explicitly, like, pro-Trump or anti-Trump. I just kind of reported facts as they happened. But, like, I'm pretty sure I wrote somewhere in that 18-month period that was the 2016 election that um, I did not think that Donald Trump would emerge victorious, but then he did. <laughs> yeah, Because my
1: my take on myself looking back now, which might just be overly flattering, and I don't know when it would have begun, is that, of course, I thought he was going to be the nominee. Um No, he was polling higher than anybody else, and, um...
0: Yeah, but I think at the time, he could have dismissed that as, like, name recognition. Yeah. Like, everybody in America knows who Donald Trump is. Like, who the heck is John Kasich? Well, Well, you're from Ohio, bad example. Who the heck is, uh, like, Ben Carson?
1: Right. Yeah. He um, seems
0: like a nice guy, for the record. I'm not, like, trying to dismiss Ben Carson, but, like, he doesn't have, like, Donald Trump name recognition.
1: Well, yeah, definitely not. Um even though his name recognition is quite a bit higher among conservatives. But, um, yeah, I I just, that, well, I, here we go back to me being a horrible cynic. The cynic in me is why I was, you know, Isn't like Trump will get it, because that would be the worst, stupidest thing the Republican Party could do. It wasn't that stupid. They won. Well, I mean, I think that. They won. Well, see, that's the same argument that Trump makes to claim that, Um, that like, he's a genius politician and all of these things that, um, yeah, I don't, I I don't buy the argument that winning the election meant that it wasn't a stupid thing to make Trump (laughs) the nominee. Um, when, I think
0: it was kind of a big, perfect storm of a lot of things happening at once that led to Trump's victory.
1: Right. I mean, I. That will never happen again. Well, I don't know. I I think that a lot of what happened that led to Trump winning in the general election is the stuff I started off talking about where liberal journalists are so concerned about appearing biased that they refuse to state clearly what is obviously happening. Um, Well, not to
0: disparage my own industry, but Trump got clicks. Clicks equal money. Right. That's kind of how it worked.
1: Basically, all the incentives in the media were bad.
0: And they, well, they weren't positive about Trump either. It was kind of like, here's another dumb thing Trump said. was kind of like how it was portrayed as by a lot of outlets, but I mean, Trump got something like a large, like, I'm gonna throw out numbers that are probably, it was like two billion or something and earned me, like, That's the same number that I had heard, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I was just making that up because it just sounded like a large number, but, um, yeah, I mean, like, how, like, how can, you know, Jeb Bush compete with that when you have that much of just, like, the media dedicating their time to Trump? Like, I think it was, um, like, Newsbusters or MRC or something did, like, graphs, and like Trump dominated the media coverage because it's Donald Trump. People click on it. People read it. His stuff was, I guess, kind of interesting, but they just gave him so much attention that, like, you know, it was kind of natural how it all played out.
1: Right. He made an absolute clown show out of everything, and people showed up to watch the clown show. Uh,
0: you can't look away from a car crash.
1: Well— I mean, you should. Yeah. Well, I mean, both of those are true in terms of like the the sentiment, but um, but I would, I mean, personally, I you should try to look away from them. Um, yeah, I why well, I I think that part of the problem was the both sidesism, where there is a view amongst a lot of the elite opinion in the country that we have two parties; those two parties must be equal. And as a result, when one party goes off the rails and insane and picks somebody like Donald Trump, there has to be something big and equally wrong with the candidate for the other party. In Hillary's case, they just chose her emails as the thing to focus on.
0: Well, no, I mean, there was a lot of things wrong with Hillary Clinton's candidacy.
1: Yeah, but they don't. He was not likable. They paranoid. Which is a big thing in American elections. But that's not a thing. But when you say that's a horse race thing, and the issue of like, she is. At the end of the
0: day, that's kind of what it is, though
1: but I, I disagree with that as the as the notion that the people covering the race should be focusing on. Um, like Hillary Clinton is not charismatic isn't a piece of information voters need when deciding who to vote for. What they need information on is all the stuff that they really weren't getting any of in 2016, which is that, um, you know, none of Trump's plans had any logical backing, any, you know, uh, fleshed out backing. He was just saying statements with no connection to reality and they were just getting reported
0: yeah but like if you look at how hillary clinton is she's been in the public eye since literally before i was born people have kind of had the same opinion about her since you know around 92 that she's not really trustworthy like there's a lot of sketchy things around her they didn't do a whole lot to rehabilitate her image in that aspect and that really hurt her like I think it was Norm Macdonald, like a SNL comedian. He was like, "I've been making the same jokes about Hillary Clinton since the '90s. Like they should have fixed those flaws that we've been pointing out since the '90s, and they just didn't really do a whole lot to make her look, I don't know, not how she's been perceived to be since, you know, the early '90s." And I think that's you, kind you, of what you say. Jay, is.
1: you mean her campaign, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, or like yeah. overall party, like it just it came off as very plastic. I mean. Like the like the fight song meme, basically. Like I don't know, it was it was very like Pokemon Go to the polls, like stuff like that, or like that Snapchat thing of I'm just chilling in Cedar Rapids. Like she tried, it looked like she was trying way too hard to like be likable and cool, and it just came off as super off-putting. funny but extremely off-putting.
1: Yeah, but again, I mean, we're it... still
0: joking about Pokemon Go to the polls two years later. Like that's I... pretty bad.
1: Hmm. I didn't know people were still joking
0: about that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's like a thing. Uh, um
1: well, I but again that so to me that as I that sort of is a demonstration of my point which is that the coverage of her and of her campaign was not suited to the things voters should be getting to make their decisions. The the, the coverage despite talking a lot about how Donald Trump was um, you know, how how he would say these ridiculous things the coverage didn't really make clear the extent to which everything he was proposing was completely insane, and. um
0: Well, I think it was also kind of like a foregone conclusion that Clinton was going to win.
1: Well, that is not that. I mean, that's a whole other issue with it too. That and again, which it, I mean, so if you look, at I James submitted company, my own little
0: fantasy election map for like we had an office pool of what the map was going to look like. I had Hillary Clinton winning. Right. I correctly called Maine's second district though, so I'm proud of myself on that. But I thought she was going to win, like. I think it was just a fork. I mean as as a member of conservative media at the time, I legitimately thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. I thought I was going to be a very early night and I could go home by 11 and have a nice nap. That didn't happen. But like I and mean, you never got a nice nap again. No, I had to be in the office by noon the next or day, which was not great. Tragic. Um Yeah, no. I mean, I think it was kind of just a conclusion amongst some members of the media that Clinton was going to win. So we might as well just enjoy this Trump clown show for what it is at the time of his campaign. Right. Not right. saying that about his current presidency now, for the record, but...
1: Well, I agree with... So I agree with part of that. I also... But I, there's another element that comes from the same thing, which is because these people were so convinced Clinton was going to win, they thought, oh, well, we'd we better go out of our way to, to not be showing liberal bias um, throughout this process. And it won't matter that you know, a realistic depiction of how Trump is behaving would be very anti Trump. Um and it's just sort of like what James Comey did with his letter that <laughs> I just done a number of analyses of and said, Yeah, that yeah. was enough to swing the election. Um, where he he was thinking, Well, we all knew Hillary Clinton was going to win and if she won and then this came out later, we thought that it would look bad, so we the released it.
0: Anthony Weiner thing? Yeah. Yeah, the strangest plot twist of the twenty sixteen season. Um.
1: So, yeah, I mean that that I think I think all of what we've just had in our discussion about the media is sort of an example of where uh, these are like these are the elements that result in a situation which we have now, in my opinion, where one party has gone completely off the rails, and um, and it's not. And the media's response is to try to find ways to show that the Democrats are also going off the rails because the parties have to be equal.
0: I don't think that's necessarily true, though.
1: And I don't know that they consciously are thinking that all the time, but I think that that's what they're doing.
0: I mean, I just haven't seen a lot of examples of how the Democrats are going off the rails. Like, I don't. Oh, this, you this, haven't?
1: I mean, you and I may follow enough different media sources. Yeah. But, we've, <laughs> um,
0: we have, like, three people that we both follow on Twitter. True.
1: true. And one of them is you. Um, well, the, I don't follow myself. Oh, well.
0: Okay. I just kind of am me. Oh.
1: I follow myself. Um, but I made a whole separate account just so I could follow myself. <laughs> Um, Um, Right. But anyway, so the the sources are also the Democrats in disarray is a standard headline people just have and dig out all the time and have dug out my entire life. Um, And uh, and. uh, So, for example, they've been saying, oh, well, the Democrats are going to go completely crazy and nominate Bernie Sanders in 2020 or, oh, let's let's do nonstop coverage of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, even though she is a single
0: member of Congress who's I just mean, there. She gets coverage because, I mean, it does well. And she's young and attractive and has gained a lot... I mean, I understand why she's getting coverage so much. It's She's an interesting character. And I think she makes, some honestly, some good points sometimes. But I think she has a habit of sticking her foot in her mouth and not knowing entirely what she's talking about, which doesn't make her look great. But... But the, and then, but the coverage – I mean that's,
1: that's the part that makes me so in, infuriated, which is that she says things and puts her foot in her mouth and people – oh, ha-ha. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's, you know, she's a member of Congress. She's a freshman member of Congress. As a legislator, it's OK for people to have a learning curve on things that they learn. She's not the president. The president is somebody who actually has to know things because they're in charge of a lot and by themselves they can cause a lot of damage. And the way that Trump's complete nonsense gets covered compared to hers, you're like, oh, Trump claims whatever. And then you read the body of the article. It's like, he claims with no evidence. It's never Ocasio-Cortez claims with no evidence. It's Ocasio-Cortez wrong about whatever. Like, she is being held to a higher standard than the president of the United States. And when you point that out, people are like, well, yeah, we all know Trump's crazy. It's just, But that's not how it gets – Cover it a lot of the time. If you're
0: somebody who doesn't follow politics, do you know how crazy Trump is? I mean, I assume so, but I also we, we can't really like speak from that perspective because we've both been following politics for however many odd years. But I don't know. It's, it's, I do definitely think it's been quite a few odd years. Yeah, no, like I mean, like I've been following politics as long as I can remember. Like, fir- I mean, not to age myself, my first election I remember is 2000, and I've been hooked ever since then. So it's been 18 years. Like that's. Doing math in my head right now. Like three my life, pretty much. Is that
1: wrong? Mm, I don't know.
0: I don't know. It's I was mean, political science student. I could do the math, but I'm math. not
1: going to. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. I but again, I it. it's in part because I followed the th- these things so long. I've gotten so frustrated by seeing the same mistakes get made over and over again. Where I feel that the way all of these things get framed are just kind of insane compared to what's really going on. Every time a, a Republican becomes president in you know, 2000, 2016, um, you know, we, we get a gigantic budget-busting tax cut that goes overwhelmingly to the rich, and the media just seems perfectly content to just cover it as a tax cut and not re- – and, and when the people say, oh, no, no, this is not a tax cut for the rich. The rich are not the major beneficiaries of this bill, and they absolutely are. George W. Bush during the election in 2000 was saying um, that uh, that you know, the vast majority of my tax cut will go to the bottom 50% or something like that. He had some number that was completely insanely not even close to right.
0: I mean, full disclosure, I have very little memory of the Bush tax cut because yeah. I was nine years old. Well, it was basically- – I'm sorry I wasn't following CNN and whatever news sources at that point. But the only thing I remember from the Bush tax cut era is that my neighbor built a dock. Off, like, for his lake house with... He called it the bush dock, because it was the money he saved in tax cuts. That's literally my only memory of the bush tax cut. So, I'm sorry I cannot contribute to this part of the discussion. Well,
1: suffice to say, it was a gigantic budget-busting tax cut for the rich, and they were trying to sell it as not just being for the rich, but it was just for the rich.
0: I guess, like, full, full other people I up in money. Maine. Everybody has a lake house. Right. A large, you don't need to be super rich to have a lake house. Um, yes.
1: And, anyway... um and I mean, and, and, and then the, the one that, part of what's so frustrating to me about the tax cut we had last year is that, um, you know, there was, and I mentioned Dave Camp for this. Dave Camp was one of the guys who was trying to, a Republican who was sincerely trying to reform our tax code in a way that would make us more competitive, in a way that would simplify things and make more sense out of everything. And, you know, he retires just before they gained the White House, and what do they end up doing with their power once they get it? It's pretty much the opposite of what Dave Camp was trying to do. Um, it's what the cynic would say that they would do. The cynic, which is me, would say when the Republicans gain power, they're going to pass a giant tax cut that's going to just give a bunch of money to people they like in the rich, and it's going and they're going to sell it by claiming it won't increase the deficit, just like in two thousand three, two uh, thousand one, they claimed the Bush tax cut would increase the deficit and it did. Um, they.
0: Granted, other things happened in two thousand one that affected. No, I, obviously and the, and the war such. on
1: terror. Did that, but you know what you're normally supposed to do during a war: raise taxes. And they refused to do that, and that's, I mean, to a certain extent, they had a. Again, you don't remember um, what not. was going on in politics at this point, but Bush came under some unjustified, in my opinion, criticism for. Telling people to go shopping after 9/11, what he meant was the economy. I
0: think needs I to... do remember that. But, well, what he vaguely, meant was the economy
1: yeah. needs to keep moving. We yeah. need, we need Don't the economy like to down function. And just... Exactly. Yeah. He said that's basically the worst thing you can do. And so, um, but that a lot of people read that as him not calling for shared sacrifice and not being willing to raise taxes um, to uh, to to you know fund the wars. And he, so I, I, I mean, he definitely did, um, he, he definitely did, uh, make that mistake of not calling for the shared sacrifice to increasing taxes, but the fundamental, fundamentally telling people to go shopping, keep the economy moving was a sound thing to do. He just also should have raised taxes. And that's yeah, what but it that also
0: doesn't look great. That's what Ronald, well. That's but, how his dad didn't get reelected. <laughs>
1: But, I mean, is politics nothing more than can you win? Is it is it really just about the next election? Because if it is, then... I think know, it is now, Well, honestly. People treat it that way, and that's part of the problem.
0: I um, mean, a former candidate for Maine CD2 lost in 2014 to Bruce Poliquin. And then, like, the next day was like, so I'm running in 2016. And it was like, Emily, it's been, like, 30 hours. Like, take a deep breath.
1: Well, there's... Um... Was it mcsally in arizona who was like you should appoint me to john mccain's who re- i'm gonna run against john mccain john mccain beats you you should appoint me to john mccain's senate seat when he dies okay well now i'm gonna run for the senate for this for, for a senate seat what's that i lost the senate seat hey could i still be appointed to john mccain's senate seat it's like there's you can't get rid of her it's like how many <laughs> elections does she have to lose and like she could lose uh you know a bunch of elections in a row and still become the senator like that's still a possibility
0: well bruce Polquin lost pretty much every other election he ran for like he ran for governor he ran i think I think he ran for governor don't quote me on that and he ran for a bunch of other things and he won this very fluke election in 2014 that i've told you about this was influenced by the bear baiting right. elect- referendum question which drew out republican turnout basically in maine um well bear voters which is Equals Republicans, more or less. And um, my friend's like, I imagine he's just sitting in his office right now, like twiddling his thumbs, being like, I'm in Congress? Like, this wasn't supposed to happen? And then he's currently now fighting over his seat because of ranked choice. So we'll see how that plays out in Maine.
1: Ranked choice amuses me because a lot of people have used the fact that it resulted in different results than not ranked choice would have. And they're like, well, that means it's wrong because we got a different result than we would have if we didn't have this system. Which I think is kind of ridiculous because, yeah, that's the point. Ranked choice is meant to give better results that are more reflective of
0: the will of the people than first past the post. Well, we can talk about that another issue, but I have other issues with ranked choice voting rather than my candidate didn't win or my like hypothetical my candidate didn't win. Oh, I think we should talk
1: about those because well, I'm curious to hear your run take. Run
0: very it. off topic, but that's not, have you listened to this show? Fair, um, but like. I mean, we were promised all these, we, I'm speaking for the state of Maine, who I'm no longer a registered Maine voter, but still follow my home states for all politics very closely. Mainers were promised a bunch of things with ranked choice voting. There'll be fewer like negative ads because you'll have to like be campaigning for everyone's second place vote and there'll be less money in politics and we'll have a guaranteed 50% winner and et cetera, et cetera. So none of that happened. (laughs) in Maine's 2nd Congressional District. It was the most expensive campaign in history. It was the most negative campaign in history. And we still didn't have a winner. And the winner won't have won more than 50% of the vote. So this whole thing was just rendered pointless. And it all became out because... So I was born in 1991, so until basically my entire life... There had been one Republican, we, there had been one gubernatorial candidate that had won 50% plus one of the votes in Maine because we have a history of very strong third party candidates, which is both a good and a bad thing because a lot of people's views are representative, but generally you get a governor who most of the state didn't vote for. So it happened with Angus King's first term. It happened with John Baldacci, who was a Democrat who won like 38, 39 ish percent on his first term, and I can't remember how much he won his second term, but it wasn't 50%. And then Paul LePage, bless him, um, who won his first election by, I think he got 38% of the vote. And suddenly everyone acted like the world had ended and this had never happened before. And we have to rechange the voting system, like it's this isn't right that we have a governor that like most of the state didn't vote for, completely ignoring the fact that it had happened most of the past 20 years. And suddenly it was a huge, big issue because Paul LePage won. I actually read a letter to the editor for the Portland Press-Herald that was two sentences being like, I don't remember any, like, bas- like passive-aggressive bumper stickers saying 61% when that's how much the um, Baldacci didn't win in the state. And it just seems like very sour grapes to suddenly, like, we have this candidate that the Democrats didn't want to win sneak out a victory in 2010, and suddenly we have to change the whole way we vote. Or that's at least what it kind came off as.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have very legitimate criticisms of that. Um, now, and just I, none of the
0: promises came true. Right. Like we were promised that we'd have nice campaigns and everyone would be skipping around, holding hands, being happy, and it was horrible.
1: Yeah, that that sounds like they made promises they couldn't keep. Although, I mean, in as a general matter of principle, I'm in favor of rank choice voting. Even though I don't, I didn't think any of the things you just said would happen would be the case. Um, I just think it's a better system than first-past-the-post, which I think is a terrible system.
0: I think it's a better system on, like, a small scale when, like, trying to get the class to decide what we're going to do during recess, like, kind of thing. Not on, like, who are we going to send to Congress to make laws Um, on a state.
1: hmm. I, I, in my opinion, it would seem the more important, the more... No, but
0: uh, it's just harder to do on a larger scale, and it's harder to, like, ensure that, like it's being done correctly, and, like, I have questions, too, about just, like, the legitimacy of a lot of things happening, because it just seems like there's a lot of opportunities for fraud and other stuff. Hmm. Whereas, like, first past the post is you drop your ballot in the Scantron machine, and then you the, you know, ticks off who you voted for, and then that gets counted.
1: Well, in theory.
0: In theory, but, like, there's no, like, going back and looking at second choices and stuff.
1: Hmm.
0: Plus, I've never had a second choice candidate. I'm kind of a one-or-done kind of person. Well... Like, would you have ranked Donald Trump after Hillary Clinton?
1: No, I would have written in other people's names before I would ever go near Donald Trump. <laughs> um, no, I, I would I would have put Gary Johnson as number two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't I don't know, if if I had... I would have come up with a, a slate of people if I knew I was going to have to come up with a slate of people. But, um...
0: Gary Johnson disappointed me in 2016.
1: Well, I thought, I mean, I wasn't a fan, but he's not Donald Trump. Really? <laughs> he's not Donald Trump and not Jill Stein. And that's something. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, but anyway, as I said, I'm not a fan of first-past-the-vote. I understand that, I think ranked choice... You can't be you can't judge it too quickly because it's the first time you've used it and it is a more complicated system.
0: Yeah, it was also just an unmitigated disaster the first time it was used, which is not a great starting off point.
1: I get. I mean, again, I don't follow Maine politics closely enough to really. I have mean, a it's sense
0: of, it's a dumpster wow. fire, so you probably it's probably for your own good that yeah, you don't f- follow it.
1: I mean, look at how much Florida manages that without doing anything extra.
0: I mean, there's only a million people in Maine. Versus several million in Florida, so. Right. I guess 1.3 million if we're going to be nice to everybody, but.
1: Oh, this show is nothing if not nice to everybody. (laughs) Um, All right. Um, So I guess we've actually filled up quite a bit of time um, already. Um, I think. I would say our listeners are going to feel good that there was a difference of opinions expressed, some real disagreements. However, it's usually you saying that, so I'm not sure <laughs> how that'll come off. Um, but is there anything else you want to make sure that we talk about?
0: Um, did you cover George H.W. Bush dying um, when you talked to Oh,
1: yes, we did. We haven't posted that
0: episode yeah. yet.
1: Um, okay. but we did talk about it. I mean, if there's anything you want to say about that. Um, you know, I mean, I got to go to the, the viewing,
0: way. which I'm assuming. Oh, okay, yes, already. that's right. Yeah. This
1: is, um, I I don't remember if we discussed this part on the podcast that was recorded, but I, um, I would have almost run into you at the, the viewing. I yeah. was on my way past around 1030 at night. Um, and cause I was, happened to be in the area anyway, and I was going to go and I was willing to wait, you know, probably about an hour or so in line, but it was apparently a three hour wait. Yeah, and, it was very long. And it was very cold um and ironically for the president who signed the Americans with Disabilities Act it wasn't the most wheelchair friendly path to wait in line um and I don't think there were any porta potties so
0: no, there um, I
1: made the executive decision to not wait in line um but you did and I did. Uh, you got in
0: Yeah it was Well, I was with, like, so I'm from Maine, obviously, and I was with three other people who are friends of mine. We're also, we're all from Maine. Two of them are from Kennebunk, which is where Walker Point, the presidential summer house retreat, whatever it's called, was. I personally was a bigger fan of Barbara Bush than George H.W., but, so I was more upset when she passed than when, which sounds really callous to say, but, um... Yeah, so, like, it was, like, nice to be, like, um, like I don't know, like, my friend from Kennebunk was very, very, it was more emotional than I thought he was going to be, and he, the way he put it was that having basically your neighbor, who was the former president, just made politics seem really accessible, yeah. and, like, this, you know, the man down the street literally used to be the president, and that's cool, and they did a lot of very good things for Maine, and they really loved Maine so much, and the way I've kind of described it is that they kind of seemed like the state's grandparents like, this figure that was just always there in hopes that you're doing okay and, you know, donates a children's hospital for you. And um, so we have the Barbara Bush Children's Hospital, where I used to volunteer when I was in high school. And I thought it was interesting, like, amongst my Mainer friends, like, there was a lot of vitriol from the left when both of them passed, which I thought was generally not really needed. Like, it's not making anyone look good or feel good, but just to say all these horrible things about someone when they die... But amongst my mainer friends, even my left-leaning ones, or very left ones, were like, I know we're on different parts of the political spectrum, but I really am genuinely sad that George H. W. Bush and Barbara Bush have passed away. And I think that, like, it's good to recognize people as for their humanity versus the set of political views that they might have espoused. And it was a very somber, like, whole thing at the viewing and the rotunda, like, where he where he was where the coffin was. It just felt very like almost intimate, even though it's the giant yeah. rotunda. Like I'm sure you've been there before. It's huge. Yeah. And um yeah, we you'd hear a pin drop the entire time. And I got to see the changing of the guard of the honor guard too, which was a very cool experience. But just also just very sad and I don't know, like I think it really speaks about him as a person, even though he's only one term president, that there was something like thirty thousand people that came through the capital to pay their respects and you know, I kind of I don't think that would happen today if like, God forbid, any of the surviving or any of the presidents that have been president in my lifetime. So Clinton or Bush or Obama passed away. Like, I don't think we would have the same kind of like four hour peaceful line of people who are just genuinely upset.
1: Hmm. And that
0: makes me really sad. Well, we did
1: when Reagan died. It was a very when long one. Right? Yeah. It was 2004. It was a yeah, so very long lines for Reagan. Um Yeah, I I mean I was it's unfortunate that you saw a lot of um very harsh takes on him. There are certainly plenty of things he did that I disagreed with, particularly in his earlier years. Um, and he did really drop the ball on a couple things like the AIDS crisis, he nominated Clarence Thomas to the Supreme Court, but um Don't talk about a man Clarence like that. Yes. Um but uh but he did a lot right as well and yeah. and that's that's well so david and i actually had a bit of a discussion and i'm curious to hear your take on this mm-hmm. um we, where i i posited just as as just a thing to talk about not necessarily that i believe this because i'm really genuinely unsure when someone like george h w bush dies and there are a lot of great things to say about him particularly relevant to the moment because he was a man of a very different caliber of character than the current occupant of the White House. But he also did a bunch of pretty bad things. Um, and you could, David, discuss pardoning people in Iran-Contra, and of course, you're dropping the ball in the AIDS crisis. There's, there, there are things you can say that he did that were pretty bad. And the question then becomes, does it really matter when someone dies if they also did a lot of bad things? Because, well, like, what is the point of eulogizing someone like that? Is the point to create um, a narrative of how people should behave and to focus on his good elements as your guideline? Um, does it matter, then, to be, you know, more accurate and show that he also did these other things? Does that actually help anyone? Does not does that just mur- uh, you know, muddy the waters and make it harder to see the good things that he did that we want to emulate? Or... Is it necessary to talk about the bad things so that we can see how he fell into those traps and so that we can avoid falling into those traps on our own? Now, I would say that that last bit is very important, but no one ever covers something like it that way. In the case of George H.W. Bush, people who wanted to say bad things about him were not interested in saying, here's how he fell into a few traps. Let's all you know, realize that a great man fell into them as well, and now we need to not do that. No, they just wanted to yell at him.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it kind of just depends on context of like who the person is. I mean, as like, I mean, when you say like, what's the point of like talking about the good things and bad things when you die? Like as a, as a Catholic, I believe that when I die, I will have to be judged by God about the things that I've done in my life. And I hope that, you know, the good things outweigh the bad ones. But I also just, I think it's hard to judge. This podcast is going to
1: count against you. Sorry. What? So appearing on this podcast is going to count against you.
0: I mean, I think being your friend is going to count for me. That was generally a good thing.
1: That's pretty optimistic, but go on.
0: <laughs> um, no, like, I don't know. Like, he did a lot of. I think it's also kind of not fair to judge someone by 2018's rules for their actions in 1970.
1: Right. Well, 1990 is a lot of the stuff people were concerned about, or that era.
0: Yeah. I mean, I also wasn't alive yet, so. <laughs>
1: you do um, get into the issue where basically everyone beyond a certain, you know, going back around a certain point is going to be utterly unacceptable by modern standards. Yeah. Um, and anybody with, an of... 18, with a 19th century view of race is totally going to be unacceptable um, today. And so when you say, oh, well, Lincoln was still a racist. And it's like, yeah, but he was. That's free not... the slaves. He, kind he, of... he, well, he, and he also had a lot of very, you know, so, yeah, some of his views are great for his time. Some of them, you know, are bad by modern standards very obvious time but when you want to when you want to look at somebody like abraham lincoln and you want to pull out lessons there are so many lessons to learn and i mean it's a whole separate tangent as to why i think he is our greatest president by a lot um and the most most of the person you want to emulate of all of our presidents um but but yeah it's it's if you judge him by modern standards which is a different context then you lose a lot of things you could learn
0: otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I now I know I'm just, like, thinking about eulogies. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, if someone's, like, a genuinely bad person, like, a mass murderer kind of thing, you're not going to be like, well, they were really funny or something. Like, I think you're kind of just, like, kind of let people make their own decisions on someone like that. But, like, when you have someone who's, like, the president of the United States, like, I don't know. I think we all do a lot of really good and really bad things in our lives. And I don't necessarily think it's fair, especially when the person's dead, to only focus on the bad ones, like, without mentioning... The good things as well
1: right well of course a lot of the people who are focusing on the bad things they don't think that oh we're just focusing on bad things everybody else is focusing on the good things we're just making sure everyone knows
0: yeah but i also just think it's kind of like a little unfair of like like i hope like if i mean like when i die i hope everyone's not like well she talked really fast and wouldn't shut up a lot of the time and like was really annoying Like, I hope people would focus on, like, the good things that they'd want to remember me by, not, you know, some of my lesser great characteristics.
1: People are probably not going to say any of those things at the funeral. Um, I have blunt friends. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Could be. I'll be honest. I have actually never put any thought into what people are going to say about me at my funeral. Really? Yeah. I just realized that now, and I'm not... Like, I just realized I don't think I've ever actually bothered to think about that. Oh, I, like—, not like I, I mean, my maybe mind, I have, but, like— but
0: I have no recollection of it now,
1: having ever done that.
0: I want my eulogy to be roast. Like, I want everyone laughing.
1: Oh. Well, yeah. I, I the only, Now that I, as I'm bothered to think about it, the only thing I can say for sure is I am not going to be happy with the eulogies people give. I'm, like, 100% sure right now that I, if I were around to hear them, I would be just so unhappy with the eulogies that I'd get.
0: Why you have that little faith in people well it's not that I have my beginning faith where in I think people.
1: you have it's, no faith in people the people are very predictable um and I think it would be a lot of jokes I wouldn't care for <laughs> um, and a lot of deprecating humor that I would not want at a at a, at a eulogy um, I don't know it 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 remind, so when I was a wee little lad. Yes. And, well, I guess this was this was eighth grade. That's not that little. Um, we did a silly over-the-top melodrama play called The Paperbag Bandit Rides Again, mm-hmm. in which I played the villain, Sludge Slyskull, the Paperbag Bandit. Okay. And um, I had, like, some insane percentage of all the lines in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had a quick turn at the beginning as Granny Nanny, the cantankerous old woman in town who warned people. Um, and it was a showstopper performance. I was just tremendous in all of those roles. Um, so humble, but you know, it's, we're doing it in front of our middle school and there's like a thing at the beginning where they're like, when you see this guy and I come out like, ha, 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 and with my black top hat and cane and cape, um, and mustache, uh, and it says you boo. And so we get to the end of the play. And um, I take my bow and I got to bow last. And it's the only time I have ever been in a play and I got to bow last. Mm -hmm. And everybody booed me at the curtain call. (laughs) And I am still so hurt about that 20 years later. But they were told to boo you. But they were told to boo during the play, not during the curtain call. That's the thing that people are going to do at my funeral. They're going to do. They're going to. They're going to do the sledge sly skull boo, where they're going to be like, oh ha ha ha, this is the time to boo him. But really, all I wanted was one chance to bow last and get the most applause, and I never got it.
0: Oh.
1: Well, you wanna, if you want to understand why I hold such a dim view of humanity.
0: Yeah. There we there go. There you go. The middle school. Wait, what middle school did you go to?
1: I went to Old Trail School in Bath, Ohio. Okay, well, those jerks. Um, yeah, ruined
0: you in the eighth grade.
1: Yeah, in my,
0: uh,
1: it was it was. That's rough. why
0: I stuck to dance. Everyone just claps at the end.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, Regardless brother's how well you did.
1: I'm definitely not doing dance. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's. Now that I think about it, now I'm all sad. Now I'm just thinking what's gonna happen at my funeral and it's gonna be a lot of people making jokes I wouldn't like.
0: Or they could just be sad and not make jokes.
1: No. No, because they're gonna be sad and make jokes. But they're just gonna be I, I'm just I'm one hundred percent gonna get, get gonna get jokes and references I don't want them making.
0: Well, I mean hopefully we we'll don't have to worry about this for the other like,
1: it's like 50, if I one thing I have put thought into mm-hmm. is if I ever have like a biopic made of me. Yeah. There's going to be a scene where I'm with, like, a girlfriend or something, and I fall out of my wheelchair, and she, like, rushes over to help, and I'm like, no, I have to do it myself. And it'll be this whole crying thing, and nothing like that ever actually happened in my life, and I would be so furious if such a scene happened in a movie.
0: I'm pretty sure, like, if it's about you, you have some kind of, like, artistic control over it.
1: Well, no, I'm presuming I'm dead at this point. Oh, okay. I'm mad in advance. Okay. (laughs) Okay. now in in fairness, I won't be around to care, but knowing that it would happen would make me crazy,
0: like the Anastasia movie or the, the cartoon where she like escapes Russia and whatever like survives and yes the real jacks up with Dimitri and yes,
1: the real yeah. Duchess Anastasia, who of course did survive, is watching that and is really just thinking, I didn't have a talking bat, <laughs> that's why she was mad. Uh, yeah. my sister when that movie came out my sister was had, had done some big project on the romanovs and she was so mad she wrote a letter to every member of the cast <laughs> protesting the movie
0: i think every girl goes through a romanov phase because i also like was obsessed with anastasia for like a very long time like did lo- like many projects on them like followed their history did all the things didn't write letters to meg ryan but uh was extremely like, yeah. once i learned like the real story i was like this is dumb
1: This is very mean to these poor people who were murdered.
0: Yeah. But there's saints in the Russian Orthodox Church now, which is kind of fun. Good. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, we've just gotten to a pretty good stopping point in that we have talked about the Russian Orthodox Church. And we do have a policy on this show that if the conversation ever makes it to the Russian Orthodox Church, then we have to just call it. So... Uh would you like to uh say any goodbyes to our audience?
0: Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for having me on. Um sorry I'm not a straight Y guy who went to Yale, but
1: no, we, we all couldn't do our keep best. that trend going. <laughs> all right, thank you. Well then, we hope you enjoyed this special episode. Provide us feedback as always to if you're on an interest podcast at gmail.com. Um and uh who knows, maybe sometime we'll pit christine up against david um where we will see we will have to track words said by each person (laughs) and determine how much time was spent per word by each person um we probably had our highest even though this is only running about an hour this episode probably has our highest word count of the entire
0: series (laughs) because we
1: have two people talking reasonably quickly
0: not to disparage to somebody i don't know but yeah
1: you can feel David, like you know him after up
0: the cadence episodes. after a while what
1: you can feel like you know him after all of these episodes you've listened to
0: i mean i listened to him at on 1.5 speed right but then i put you on normal speed
1: yeah listening to me on 1.5 speed is probably quite a head trip
0: yeah it's hard yeah. but with him it just he sounds more like you on well that that's, 5 that's 5 an speed. improvement
1: i think we can all end this episode by agreeing <laughs> that that's an improvement For everybody.